E kore rātou e koro he ketia, pēnei i a tātou ko a mahue nei, e kore hoki rātou e ngoi kore, aho ko a pēhia i ngā ahua tango o te wā, i te hekinga atu o te rā, tai noa ki te aranga mai i te ata, ka maumahara tonu tātou ki a rātou, ka maumahara tonu tātou ki a rātou. They shall not grow old. As we that are left grow old, age shall not weary them, nor the years condemned. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we will remember them. We will remember them. Tēnā tātou katoa e whakarongo mai ki te hōtaka nei a te ahikā. Ko au tēnei, ko Justin Murray e mihi atu nei ki a koutou, ko tēnei te hōtaka whakamanahia o te rā whakamaumahara ki ngā hoia o Aotearoa me Ahitreiria. Welcome to Te Ahikā, providing an insight this week into Māori stories, issues and people. It's our Anzac special tonight where you'll hear songs from the album Akiake Kiakaha E, Songs of the New Zealand 28th Māori Battalion. Coming up on the show... Growing up in Rotorua and with my uncle strumming the song Hokimai, I came to realise the truth of the waiata several years ago, that as fast-paced and happy as the tune suggests, the song is actually a lament for the soldiers of the 28th Māori Battalion. The song is adapted from Tomomai, composed by Hinare Waitua. His mukopuna, or grandson, Kahu Waitua, explains more. Well, it was the end of uh, Second World War, and... uh uh, the soldiers were due to come home and uh, Grandpa was asked by Tāpiranga Ngata if Ngāti Putanga would uh, perform for their return at the Gaiti Theatre in uh, Ruatoria in 1946. So, uh, yeah, as I said uh, earlier, he had just the one day because the next day they were arriving and uh, so he wrote the song in uh, one night and the next day, the Ngāti Putanga, Kapahaka, Rōpū got together, learnt it in two hours, and then went that night to the Gaiti Theatre in Ruatoria and performed it for the um, soldiers. More from Kahu Waitua later on. On Anzac Day morning, at a time that most 16-year-olds would be sound asleep, Jonathan Brumley was delivering a remembrance speech in Gallipoli, Turkey, to 10,000 people. It was his main prize after he won the National Cyril Bassett VC speech competition. His topic, the grave injustice to Hane Manahi. What he had done in the Second World War in Tunisia and how he was recommended for the Victoria Cross by four very distinguished generals. Yet, somehow it was downgraded, and whatever the reason for that, I feel that he really did deserve the Victoria Cross. And we have highlights from the ANZAC commemorations in Wellington this week. Observing ANZAC Day and remembering the exploits of ANZAC's past, present and future and their underlying motives are central to our appreciation of this day and our understanding of nationhood and our democratic tradition. More from the Anzac speech from Governor-General Sir Jerry Matepārai. Nā reira, kuera ngā kōrero i That's what's coming up in this edition of Te Ahikā. Ngāti hene woman Grace Turufenua has had her share of heartbreak. She lost her husband, Graham Rakuraku Turufenua, 20 years ago when he was 45 years old, leaving her to raise their four daughters alone. Then, just a few years later, her daughter, Moana Turufenua, died. But the real tragedy was the link between her husband's and daughter's death that went back to his time when he served in the army at the Vietnam War and was sprayed with the herbicide made up of dioxins 2,4-D and 2,4-5-T, broadly known as Agent Orange. 
In 2008, Mariah Rakaraku sat down with Grace, her auntie, and one of her auntie's whānau friends, Joe Martini, and they reflected on the long shadow cast by the Vietnam War some 48 years ago. Politically at the time, was the country was um, very unsupportive of the, of the people going to Vietnam because there was protesters everywhere and you couldn't even really say goodbye to your um, loved ones and your, darling. your darlings because it was all, they flew out and, and you know, top was all top secret, we didn't even know. Like it's not like how they go off to um, to um, the Solomons and Timor and all that. I mean, all the big ministers all come and see them off. It was nothing like that then. It was a time of um, quite hard. It was very hard actually. And even you know, in your day-to-day life, when they were over there and you were at home, you you couldn't tell many people that your husband was in Vietnam because. They will torment you, and especially, um, and so you you learn to rely on just the clothes, like your um, your army fano, the ones who knew what, and they didn't. You know, we just stayed together as a group of, of, of army wives, and that's why army wives really still have that camaraderie today, because of the time that we went through, because you were. You were really um, ostracised by the um, by the community, and even you know, just because it was such an unpopular war, they didn't believe that they should have been there, and so it was just bringing a lot of people of the time just didn't like it, and so they sort of. Um, yeah, took it out on a lot of the whānau, the families that were left behind, especially if you're a young wife and mother, yeah. Which she was. Grace Kake no Tikipuna he Udia Napuhi met Rakuraku Graham Turufinua he Udia Tuhoi when he had already completed two tours. They met in 1969, a few months before he returned with the 161 battery to Vietnam, at which stage Grace was hapu with their oldest child, daughter Moana. Were you aware of that too? Yes. When you, yeah, and oh, how was that for you? It wasn't Vietnam when we do it, it was Malaya. Mm. Yeah, but when we come back, we But felt still, that everyone would just be like, oh, that's just the same. Oh, ignorant to the fact. Mm. Especially the, a lot of these uh, varsity and students, the clever people. The clever people. Yeah. You know, then they're, they're running the country now. Joe Martini at Nornapuhi served in Vietnam, Borneo yeah, yeah. and Malaysia. When we come home, they, you know, baby killers all this killer. So we didn't say we were in, we went out to Vietnam, we went out to Malaya, Borneo. Vietnam, which is a word come up just last few years. And yet this year is 40 years for us since then. Did the army provide any support for you? Like we know that when our kraua and fathers came back from the Second World War, they were, you know, they found it very difficult to reintegrate back into the community, oh, back right. into their whānau. So by the time Vietnam had come along, 30 or so years later, had did they provide some post-war yeah. support? Nothing whatsoever. A lot of the boys are still feeling the pain. And a lot of the whānau. Oh, still. yeah. Some of the RSAs wouldn't have us. They reckon it wasn't the war. And so, oh, yeah, we shouldn't have been there, all that carry on, eh? Jay Force and Capel. Yeah, I think Malaya was just recognised recently. Borneo was just a skirmish, they reckon. But still lost people and still had a, a VC out of it, so. Who was awarded that? Oh, one Gurkhasa. Did you realise at the time just how much of an impact it would have on your life? Oh, no, no. 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 Well, you know the the, the another part, you know. See that, that is, it wasn't planned like this. Of course, even our officers and, and our corporal sergeants are dying. You know? NCOs, they die just like the, the ordinary somebody. The ones that are out in the field with us in the jungle, they die to say. So it's nothing planned, you know. It's, 
through that. So there are, there's not only the psychological effects that the, the war had, but there's also the physical effects too, near Our children, you and our children, and our grandchildren, medical world can't find the fault. They're putting a name on you, you know. So I feel sorry for a lot of our buddies with their children, even my own children and grandchildren. A lot of side effects. And what would those side effects be? Oh. Well, one of my mothers now is about seven, and you get eye, eye problem. And it's, uh, a lot of them got to eat what I've got. A lot of it, as they say, is arthritis. I would say 90% of us, 90, 95% of us, actually in the jungle, will have, we all have about the same effects, you know, same problems in a sense. And what, what, what's, that been, what's that brought on by? Oh, well, it's all the conditions. The, the heat. Get, the, yeah, the heat and, and the monsoons. We get, we've got the monsoon seasons and it's rain, rain, rain. You're sleeping in wet clothes and all that. Yeah. Jumping off trucks, jumping off choppers. But then you're young and fit because you train for it. And uh, now most, most of the boys, you know, knee trouble, back problem. All the joints, bad. And that's Malaysia and Borneo. And Vietnam. But and one of the other side effects from Vietnam has the effects of um, the spraying Asian of Orange, what's called Agent Orange. Yeah. I think the government now has um, decided that there is a case to answer to Vietnam and their families, to the Vietnam veterans and their families, and that the Agent Orange spraying has affected some families, many families, and will go on affecting families for seven generations. Seven generations? Seven generations. Even could be more. Yeah. Is that how long it's...? That's how long it will go down our line. See, when I first, when I first went with my wife, she couldn't sleep with me, because of the smoke comes out of the skin and there. I thought she was having me on, but when, when she got pregnant, she's the collapse, and I thought she was having me on. She says, you bloody stink. I said, I just come out of the shower. Most of her pregnancies, she went and lived in Auckland. I stayed back home. Most of her pregnancies. And when is it that you began to realise that there was something up? Maybe about, well, after, well you know, there's always been problems there when you've been back, you know. There's so many things happening. It's just unreal. It's, it's hard to describe. See, look, the hair got grey. In a month, it was all white. Yeah. Doctors say, oh, you're just ageing. <laughs> yeah. I started realising there was something on quite early in the... probably in the late 70s, probably early 80s, because the amount of tonguees that we're going to for Vietnam veterans... Who had only just who finished. Who had only just finished mm. and had, you know, had, um, were starting to get really severe, serious health problems. And then, you know, it just started, they just started dying. And I think that was the alarm bells started ringing for us as um, Vietnam families, that there's something not quite right, there's something wrong. We talked about it as, uh, as our own, in our own sort of social groups as families of Vietnam veterans. While there was an apology from the New Zealand government to the Vietnam veterans and their whānau earlier this week, on the 28th of May, for the veterans it has been a long time coming, as they have spent years seeking recognition for their pre- and post-Vietnam experiences. There had been lots of studies done that had been totally um, denied by different government agencies and... Um, even there was been that many reports, we, we as families started to get really fed up because all we, was, all we were seeing was another report was getting done, another report was getting done, but nothing really was being done until... I'm not sure when the government took on board that there was something really happening within Vietnam veterans' families and that the, um, the road show started coming around to the, to all the different regions and that was the um, consultation and the, so it was the working group for Vietnam veterans and their families 
to tell their stories, to make submissions to the panel, yes. uh, whether it was written, verbal, or however way you wanted to do it, by video link, privately or publicly, and that was um, probably the first, and um, I think that's probably the probably the main driving force that that got Helen Clark and them saying yes there needs to be something what can we do to help Vietnam veterans and their families and we were able to talk freely and openly there was no um, no one wanted to see your court at all or anything before the day you could either go there um, say what you First of all, they said that we were only allowed to have a three-minute time right. limit, or, three minute time and like it was like, oh. what? Mm. Three minutes to tell your tell the tell your your story. So we didn't take any notice of that, did we, Joe? We just talked what, whatever we wanted to say, because for a lot of us, it was a part of the healing, part of um, yeah, because you didn't really get chance to tell your story. How was it that they started making links between people dying and oh, um, the Agent Orange? I think it was the mainly that um, uh, there was a lot of cancers that were identified. And with children too, there was a lot of Vietnam veterans, yes. children that had been affected with different medical conditions, um, both medical and psychological. There was a very, very high uh, rate of suicide amongst um, children of, vets, of Vietnam veterans through depression, um, psychological program, yeah. And so they realised then that the, what we were, had been trying to tell them for years was really true. So, but I think the battle's not over. Oh no. <laughs> the battle's nowhere near over. They've only decided to um, cover certain cancers and not much else. Uh, certain disabilities, cleft palate, they haven't addressed the issue of uh, mental, um, psychological or anything like that, or skin. So there's lots of, yeah. So there's still, um, there are still a big battle to be going on. So it appears that the battles are going to end up being taken up by your mokpuna. I think so. It'll just go down our families. It's there already. Yeah. For the seven generations. Yeah. The Vietnam children of Vietnam veterans now are starting to stand up and speak for themselves. Because they now are young adults. They're, a lot of them are in their 30s. And they now are wanting to join the fight. Because it's a fight for them. And for them, them of course. We encourage all our buddies to make their children, uh, make them aware, to make the doctors aware yeah. that they are Vietnam veterans and make sure that it goes in there like that. Even my own children, yeah. they won't do it, so they go up with them. Yeah. And the doctor says, oh, what's it, now, as long as you record it. It's got to be recorded. For both Joe Martine as a Vietnam veteran and Grace Tudafinua as a widow of a veteran and mother of children, the guilt and responsibility is immense. So, you know, for the future of my family, I have to be the driver at the moment because there's no one to drive for them. Um, I, I've told my sons they must tell their doctors watch their children, that they are Vietnam veteran families. And uh, for the my mokapuna that I've got at the moment, they, they are uh, get cardiologists because it seems to be something that's happening in, in my life, in my husband's line, or that they're just, I believe it's, it is an angel orange thing because um, it's affected me twice with um, losing a husband at age 45 and a daughter age 29. So, um, for, the, for the children and the mokos, it has to be, there has to be something for them. So too, and the thing is, I'm really, it worries me that this thing could affect 
us for seven to eight generations. You know, even though we've been left with this tanifau on our backs, <laughs> we're proud of the men, our men who served, oh. and uh, we'll always be proud of them. Kia ora, Grace Turu Whenua, talking with Marae Rakaraku and joined by Fano friend Joe Martini. That was recorded in 2008 in Whakatane at a 28th Māori Battalion reunion. You can listen to that recorded again by logging onto our webpage radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Te Ahika. And if you have a story to share with us, perhaps, you can email us teahika at radioNZ.co.nz. There are always songs that can remind you of periods in your life. Glenn Miller's 1939 song Moonlight Serenade, songs from Elvis or the Beatles through the 50s and 60s, or the rise of Poi E in the 80s. Another one is Tomo Mai, the waiata written by Hinari Waitua in 1946. It was sung to welcome home the soldiers of the 28th Māori Battalion, he was given the songwriting task by the late Ta Apirangata and to write it in just 24 hours. The song was later adapted by Howard Morrison, you may know, Hoki Mai. Later on in his life, he declared publicly of his regret in changing the lament and slow-paced Tomo Mai to the upbeat Hoki Mai. To analyse both Waiata and to get an insight into the work of Hinari Waitua, what better way to do it? Then to talk to his whānau. Ko kahu waitoa hau, ko Ngāti Putanga, me te whānau uh, Totarewa Green, uh, Oku Hapu, ko Wiparai de Waitoa Taku Papa, ko Waipaina Green, Taku Mama, Oku Marae, ko Putanga, ko Rahui, ko Hinepare, ko Kaiwaka, ko Awatere, uh, ko Hinerupe. No reta, uh, tēnā koutou. Kia ora, kia ora, uh, tēnā koe, uh, kahu. The um, original composer of the waiata, Tomo Mai, was Henare Waitoa. Uh, you're, you share the same surname. How, uh, in terms of whakapapa, how does that go? Well, uh, Henare Waitoa is my grandfather. He's my father's father. He's your father's father. Aye. What memories did you have of your, gra- of your koro? My koro passed on when I was uh, quite young, about three years old, but I do remember... Um, I have visions of him walking down a long passage and there was a big mirror, those sort of things. But, um, yeah, I was a bit young to actually have, have uh, known him as a person. And now, um, as, a, as a composer and singer yourself, uh, uh, Kahu, no doubt that people will recognise you as the, the, the singer and composer of that waiata Takumanawa. Aye. Aye, I, so, obviously, composing waiata has um, a trickle-down effect from, from your koro. It's something that the, the Waitua whānau do? I think so. I think um, um, maybe the gifts from my grandfather and, uh, well, also you might have heard of Sheree Waitua. Aye, yes. Another composer. Well, um, my dad and her dad are brothers. So, you know, it carries on through the whānau. So, Kahu, in terms of the influence that your koro had in, in terms of composing waiata Māori in te reo Māori o Ngāti Paro, um, you know, what kind of legacy did he leave for you personally? For me personally, I just uh, I just love all his waiata that uh, he put together. Um, in the early days, it was more about uh, the war, so um, a lot of his waiata were like love songs and written especially for those who were left behind, the wives that were left behind, the soldiers that were overseas fighting and yearning for their um, their, their whānau. So also he had uh, waiata that were, that were written for occasions. Uh, his first ever one was uh, written in 1940 and that was for the opening of uh, Paiotiriri School. In Tiki Tiki. Yeah, so he was asked to write a song for that, so that was the starting of it all in 1940. And from Ngāti Parau Kahu, we have composers such as the late Twini Ngāwai, Ngoi Pewhairangi, who really, such was the extent or such was the standard, I suppose, of their composing and te reo Māori, that they could write songs kind of on the fly. Oh, that's right. Well, if you take... Uh, Tomo Mai, for instance, that was written 
in one day, one night I should say, and it was taught to the Kapahaka group in two hours before the actual, it had to be performed that day, so they had two hours to actually learn uh, the actions and the waiata. Had a, uh, uh, in those days, they, Tāpiranga Ngata had, um, you know, put together all these uh, ropu uh, for kapahaka competitions, you see, way back in the, the late 30s. Yeah, so um, that's how fast they could put a song together, a waiata together. And Tomo Mai, you said that it was uh, performed. Now, there was a special, ret- was it the return of um, some of the, the hoya or the soldiers to Ngāti Well, it was the end of uh, Second War, World War, and uh, uh, the soldiers were due to come home. And uh, Grandpa was asked by Tāpiranga Ngāta if Ngāti Putanga would uh, perform for their return at the Gaiti Theatre in uh, Ruatoria in 1946. So, uh, yeah, as I said uh, earlier, he had just the one day because the next day they were arriving. And uh, so he wrote the song in uh, one night. And the next day, the Ngāti Putanga, Kapahaka, Ropu got together, learnt it in two hours, and then went that night to the Gaiti Theatre in Ruatoria and performed it for the um, soldiers. Tomo mae tamama kiroto Inga ringa e tufera tune Inga morehu o te kiwi The waiata tomo mai um, kahu, what, what do you think that waiata um, speaks about? Not so much a direct translation of each kupu or each sentence, but what does that waiata mean? Uh, it's, it's a lot of aroha in that waiata. Eh? It's a lot of um, tangi, a um, lot of deep feelings for, uh, for the soldiers that were left behind who could not come back and you know they were uh, had to be left in buried in foreign soils um, and of course the celebration of uh, a victory winning that uh, second world war over Germany as a uh, you know a collective all the countries under the flag of um, England as it's in the song yeah quite emotional so kahu, you know, tomo mai has its own um, kaupapa, its own meaning, and, and especially that the pace is much slower than the upbeat whakangaho version that was adopted by, um, adapted by Howard Morrison. You know, as Ngāti Poro and a singer-songwriter and the grandson of the original composer, you know, what, what's the general feeling of, of that, um, of hoki mai, and when that was kind of doing their rounds in Aotearoa on the music scene? Well, for me myself, I have no bad feeling at all about uh, that. But uh, when you go to the generation of my my father and uh, my grandmother, especially, she was absolutely horrified uh, by the vision that uh, did come out. But for me myself, I have no um, bad feelings about it. I mean, you know, it happened. These things happen. It's not the first time of. Uh, like the first song my grandfather ever wrote, uh, and I hear it on the radio. <laughs> you know that sort of thing. I'm going, oh, who sang uh, you know, who that? <laughs> Actually, and that's a good point, I suppose, eh, Kahu, yes. to realise that, you know, we see it at Matatini on the national kapaka stages of, you know, there's a lot of um, adaptation going on. I know that um, Te Arawa, you know, um, with Paikia, you know, Paikia versus um, um, the Te Arawa version of it. So this is not new. But I suppose in the 60s, 70s, when you saw Howard Morrison um, kind of like clicking his fingers and you know, doing that whole upbeat version, when it wasn't even supposed to kind of be interpreted as a whakangaho, it's actually aye, a really aye. sad way at the... 
I, you... I think I think it can be best explained by a uh, a thesis that my um, uncle Koro Jews wrote as the first Māori thesis ever to be written at Victoria University in Wellington, and it was called Nga Waiata Haka Ahenare Waitua, because uh, Uncle Koro on the Rangihuna side is closely related to our side. He actually, um, he, he translated them, okay? So you can best understand, I suppose, the feeling of um, of the older people about uh, what was said in in Howard's uh, to Howard Morrison's version compared to the original. And if I could, I could just uh, read it out to you. Yeah, sure, of course. So this is um, the translation of Howard Morrison's version, Come Back Boys, uh, Into These Arms Outstretched, Fluttering as a Flag, The Flag England Over Germany, Come Back, Come Back Home, In Order to Fulfill Your Hope, Fluttering as the Flag England Over Germany, and it just continues like that. Whereas... The Tomomai version, the original version, is enter boys into these arms outstretched to the survivors of the New Zealand Army, to the brave sons of this great war. Welcome, welcome home. Our wish has been fulfilled as fluttering over there is the flag of England over Germany. You return, boys, fewer in numbers to the people waiting for you. You have left many friends in foreign soil and among strange people. the Victoria Cross as a reminder of their bodies far away and their memories with us still. Last year um, at the Māori Music Awards, saw the, the, was it the debut of a, uh, a waiata that uh, you, uh, uh, we work, you worked on? What was the name of that waiata, that CD? Uh, the CD uh, was Ngā Waiata Hinare Waitua. We Pre- had entered it in the uh, Māori, uh, Waiata Māori Awards. And was that like a tribute... Um, CD to to your to your koro? Oh, definitely, yep. definitely. All his, um, not all his waiata. He has many more to come, but uh, twelve of his waiata 
are in there uh, with all the words and all the proper words. <laughs> so nobody gets it mixed up. Yeah. And um, also a bit of a corridor about when the song was written, why it was written. So on the CD, um, Tomo Mai, it features an uh, interview and uh, corridor and then into the waiata. So Kahu, we're talking about Tomo Mai. Um, a colleague of yours, Irana, opens up the, the interview? Uh, yes, um, these programs were something we just made um, just made so that uh, if other radio stations would want to play them to know about uh, what the waiata was about, interview CD. And uh, the interviewer is Irana Keelan Reedy, uh, the manager here at Radio Ngati Porau, and she is interviewing my father about Tomo Mai. We pride Waito. Tomo Mai. Tomo Mai. Mutsi Tanga Tipakane, Toki Tanga in Ahoe. Quenadu made Tonome, Abiran, make a morium, the Kapaha of Pitanga, Marato, a pohiri, mate. I'm not to rack on the gate here. Ah, it's all in Tereo, and what does your father? Um, just from your recollection, recollections of that interview, what's your father saying to Irina? He's uh, basically saying um, what I what I said to you earlier about uh, the waiata, uh, what it means, when it was done, why it was done, and I all that caught it all. And, and uh, um, so, Kahu, twelve tracks. You said that there's plenty more tracks that your Koro wrote. Is there any future projects? Um, that have kind of inspired you to do more of his waiata? Well, yes, we hope to uh, do all of his waiata at some stage, but um, uh, next I think we're going to be looking at a uh, waiata twinning our way. Oh, ne. Oh, kapai. That'll be really, really interesting. And probably the other waiata that are not really heard a lot. Gee, it must be like a treasure treasure oh. trove, eh? <laughs> yeah, so we just work with the whanau and whatever they want for who originally composed Tomo Mai. Thank you so much for your time. Kia ora rā. And we heard excerpts from the CD Na Waiata a Hinare Waitua where Kahu's father Wei was talking about his father Hinare. Na mihi kia kōrua. It was the book Victoria Cross at Tacrona, the Harnet Manahi story, written by Paul Moon, that inspired a young 16-year-old from Whanganui Collegiate to write an eight-minute speech titled The Grave Injustice of Harnet Manahi in the Cyril Bassett VC Speech Competition. Jonathan Brumley won the Wellington Taranaki West Coast Regional Semi-Finals, which earned his spot in the finals, held at the War Memorial Wellington earlier this month. Before we hear from Jonathan, the author of the book mentioned, Paul Moon, backgrounds the heroic efforts of Hane Manahi with Marae Rakuraku in an interview from April 2011, beginning with his Turanga Waiwai. Well, born in Ohenemutu in Rotorua, at the beginning of the 20th century, 1913, he um, really an unremarkable person, like I suppose most other normal people, thrust into war. And he was put in a situation in, at Takruna in 1943 where he and a number of other troops carried out acts of extraordinary bravery, which is recommended for Victoria Cross. And there's really nothing much in his early life to suggest that he was heading in this direction. So... It's not as though he joined the army at a young age and decided that would be his career. He was actually um, training to become a builder. But it was just a circumstance, like so many other young men, they decided they would, they would enlist, and he did so. And the situation arose, and he performed exceptionally. Now, where's Takaruna? It's in Tunisia, in North Africa. And it's, 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 the physical feature of it is quite significant. Um, 
Most of the terrain in the region is fairly f flat and dry and sandy. This is a large limestone outcrop. It sticks up a couple of hundred metres and it was formidably guarded by about two or three hundred German and Italian troops. And this was where Manahi and a few of his men were placed in the middle of 1943. They were ordered to fire on this particular feature just to, if they saw anyone, any Italian or German troops on the cliffs or anywhere, they would fire on them just so that they could keep, if, if you like, keep the situation under control to prevent too many of the enemy troops on the location from firing back at anyone else. And that was, that, those are the orders Hani was given. Um, at some point, though, he and a few of his colleagues decided to disobey the orders. And when asked why, and there was only ever one interview about this in the early 80s, he was asked why did he disobey orders. And he said he saw a couple of enemy troops and he thought, well, I'm going to shoot at them. And he, was, he and his men were successful. And they thought, well, we might actually approach this feature. And once they got a foothold, they thought, well, we, we saw one or two more. And that's really what drew him and the other troops into Takruna, that they had a few early successes, and at the time he had no idea how many men were on this feature. In fact, even as late as, as the early 80s when he was interviewed about this, um, the interviewer said, do you know that there were 300 enemy troops there? And he was surprised because he had no idea even then exactly how many Germans and Italians were at Takruna. So it was a step-by-step -step action to take the site. Paul Moon with Marae Rakaraku talking about his book Victoria at Tacrona, the Hane Manahi story. Now let's meet 16-year-old Jonathan Brumley, this year's winner of the Cyril Bassett VC speech competition. So really it was just all about you picking up that book that your mum got and, and you read it. That was as simple. It was as simple as that really for the basis of your speech. Yep. What he had done in the Second World War in Tunisia and how he was recommended for the Victoria Cross by four very distinguished generals. Yet, somehow it was downgraded, and whatever the reasons for that, I feel that he really did deserve the Victoria Cross. After the battle, Sergeant Menahi was recommended for the Victoria Cross, the highest military honour awarded. However, to this day, the medal has not been given. Bernard, Sir Bernard Freiburg, ex-Governor-General, Victoria Cross recipient, and one of the most recognised military commanders in New Zealand history, personally recommended that Menahi receive the Victoria Cross, as did Field Marshal Montgomery, Allied Supreme Commander. It should have been an achievement for New Zealand. It should have been an achievement for the Māori Battalion. And it should have been an achievement for one of New Zealand's sons. But why? Why was the Victoria Cross denied to a man who had produced such an outstanding feat of courage in the face of death? Dennis Blundell, Major of the 3rd Brigade at Takruna, stated that he was disgusted when the recommendation was downgraded. Equally vitriolic was his commanding officer, Sir Charles Bennett. He felt a continuing sense of moral obligation to attempt to correct what was generally regarded as a grave injustice. Finally, and the most potent, was General Horrocks. He believed that Menahi's act was the most gallant feat of arms he had witnessed over the course of the war. I don't think there was any question in anyone's minds when they heard about this that he was deserving of the Victoria Cross. Um, people were almost speechless when they found out what he had done. It, it was remarkable by any measure. And very quickly, the paperwork was done, the details of what he had achieved were written down, and it was endorsed by a number of generals all the way up to Montgomery and Wilson. It was then sent to the Victoria Cross Committee in London, and it was there that someone struck through the letters VC, which had been typed on the initial citation page, and replaced them with a handwritten DCM. 
Distinguished Conduct Medal. So presumably someone in London decided, well, we're going to downgrade this, and no reason was given. The, the most likely reason is that another Maori had been from the battalion had received a Victoria Cross about three weeks earlier, and it's possible to speculate that the committee thought, well, we can't have two people from the same battalion getting a Victoria Cross so close to each other, so they thought, well, we'll downgrade this one. So it was timing. And the other Māori you're talking about is Te Moana Nuiaki Wanarimu. That's right. Who, with Uli Apiata, are the only Māori that have been awarded the Victoria Cross. That's right. Hane Manahi never gave up. He never gave up on his men. And he never gave up fighting for his country. Let's not give up on him. Let's keep fighting to give this man what he deserves. Let's keep fighting to give him what is rightfully his. The Victoria Cross. Noreira, tēnā koto, tēnā koto, tēnā koto katoa. He mihi porupurua ki tēnei ki ngā huia o te rua te kaumāwaru. I hāri atu rā rātou, kia rātou mātua tīpuna. In the past year, these Māori Battalion vets have died. Matthew Love, D Company. William Osborne, D Company. Edwin Reed, A Company. Tautini Glover, C Company. Suhinare Ngata, C Company. Bill Tekani, C Company. Bill Williams, A Company. Thomas Moore, B Company. Bill Follett, A Company. Barney Kirk, C Company. Darcy Nipia, C Company. Roy Tepunga, D Company. Takao Takurua, B Company. Mutunga Wehungi, A Company. Trevor Miller, D Company. It's a warm sunny day here in Wellington. Uh, the wind is out and about and I'm heading to the uh, Anzac commemorations at the National War Memorial, uh, Buckle Street in Wellington, where you will hear a corridor from the Governor-General, Jerry Matepārai. It is a great honour for me and Janine to be here this morning. Observing Anzac Day and remembering the exploits of Anzac's past, present and future and their underlying motives are central to our appreciation of this day and our understanding of nationhood and our democratic tradition. Over the next few years, it will be special for us as we mark and recall significant anniversaries. They are dates that were turning points in our nation's history, in our nation's sense of its place and role in the world, and in our collective national identity, what it means to be a New Zealander. In 2014, we will mark the centenary of the start of the First World War, that war that was supposed to end all wars, and the 75th anniversary of the start of the Second World War. In 2015, we will mark the centenary of the landings at Gallipoli. The following year, in 2016, it is the centenary of the first Anzac Day and the formation of the Royal New Zealand Returned and Services Association. In 2017, we will recall the horror of the Battle of Passchendaele on the Western Front, when on the 12th of October, 1917, more New Zealanders died on that single day than at any other time in our young nation's history. Today, we recall that 97 years ago, the men of the Australian and New Zealand Army Corps, the Anzacs, stepped into our history when they went ashore at Gallipoli. This ill-fated and ultimately unsuccessful campaign claimed the lives of thousands upon thousands of New Zealand, Australian, Allied and Turkish lives. The service of those men is the stuff of legends. On the hills above what is now known as Anzac Cove, the Anzacs distinguished themselves as soldiers. 
In addition to their courage, they showed determination, comradeship and compassion that became both their legend and their legacy that endures to this day. At times they fought like demons, at times they extended the hand of peace across to their Turkish foe. It is often said that Gallipoli was where a sense of nationhood was born for Australia, New Zealand and Turkey. On Anzac Day, we pause to recall the ties of friendship and family that were formed in the trenches at Gallipoli, on the Western Front and in battlefields since that time. The bonds forged between New Zealanders and Australians have remained strong, enduring and resilient to this day. We continue to serve alongside each other as peacekeepers, attempting to bring stability to troubled lands. On Anzac Day, we pause to honour all of the men and women who have served our country, whether that country is New Zealand, Australia or Turkey. Many of them, many of them made the ultimate sacrifice. On Anzac Day, we remember the families of the servicemen and servicewomen who have served and who are currently serving. This building behind me, opened 80 years ago today by the Governor-General Lord Bledisloe, stands as a permanent reminder of our nation's outpouring of grief at the tragic loss of so many lives and for our desire for peace. More than 50,000 people were here to see Bledisloe turn on the lamp of remembrance atop the tower for the first time. And finally, on Anzac Day, New Zealanders pause to reflect on what it means to be a New Zealander. It is a day to ask ourselves how can we live up to the hope our Anzacs had for our future as they struggled ashore and fought over the eight months of the campaign. Not many are left and not many are sound, and thousands lie buried in Turkish ground. These are the Anzacs, the others may claim, their zeal and their spirit, but never their name, lest we forget. And there we heard from Governor-General Jerry Matapārai here at the War Memorial in Wellington, Anzac Day 2012. On the morning of 25 April 1915, Australian and New Zealand troops landed under fire at Gallipoli. It was then, and in the battles which followed, that the Anzac tradition was formed. On this day, above all days, we remember all those who served their, our nation in times of war. We remember with pride their courage, their compassion and their comradeship. We remember what they accomplished for New Zealand and indeed for the freedom of humanity. We honour all those who died or were disabled in the tragedy of war. They adorn our nation's history. We remember all those who fell on the veldt in southern Africa, in the valleys and on the ridges of Gallipoli, on the terraced hills of Palestine, in the mud of France and Belgium, on the sands of the North African desert, among the mountains and olive groves of Greece, Crete and Italy, in the skies over Europe and on the surrounding seas. Also, Burma, the Malayan Peninsula and Singapore, Indonesia and the Pacific Ocean and its islands. In Korea, Malaya, Borneo, Vietnam, East Timor and Afghanistan. We also remember all those who have served in these and other conflicts and peacekeeping on land in the air and at sea, in many parts of the world. We remember those who suffered as prisoners of war and those who died in captivity. We remember kith and kin whose sacrifices also were great. We remember staunch friends and allies, especially those who fought alongside us on the first Anzac Day in 1915. I invite His Excellency Lieutenant General of the Right Honourable Sir Jerry Mataparai, Governor General of New Zealand, accompanied by Her Excellency Lady Janine Mataparai, to, to lay their wreath 
on behalf of Her Majesty the Queen. I now invite the Right Honourable John Key, Prime Minister of New Zealand, to lay his wreath on behalf of the Government and peoples of New Zealand, together with His Excellency Mr Paul O'Sullivan, High Commissioner for the Commonwealth of Australia, to lay his wreath on behalf of the Government and peoples of Australia. So at the moment where I'm standing, I actually can't see anything from the National War Memorial here in Wellington. Uh, there's a very restricted access on the top of the uh, stairs, or just outside the War Memorial. So what I can see is um, quite a lot of media, actually about 20 media representatives clicking away with their uh, cameras, and there are about maybe five TV cameras as um, this particular Ladies footage Keating, is broadcast on the television networks. Commissioner Peter Marshall, New Zealand Police Commissioner on behalf of the New Zealand Police. So right now they've got the army there's about 30 members of the uh, army. They shall grow not old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we will remember them. We will remember them. Sam Jackson and the response and the response we will remember them was read out by Colonel David Maloney OBE and uh, Governor General Jerry Matepara and Prime Minister John Key are going to inspect the guard which is roughly about 20 metres away from where I'm standing here at the War Memorial in Wellington. Thank you. 
nice sunny day here in Wellington. Obviously, you can hear the wind. I'm standing in front of the uh, brass band. We're wearing uh, uniforms, obvious to me, of the um, Navy. And then um, there are a fleet of cars making their way up Buckle Street, which has been closed to the general public because of the sheer amount of people here. Uh, and Governor-General uh, Jerry Matepārai and his wife Janine are now making their way uh, into the um, vehicle. And it's the son of Jerry Matepārai and his uh, fleet going uh, past his convoy. And I'm thinking that just about ends the uh, proceedings. Uh, Prime Minister John Key is going to get into his uh, vehicle now. pictures of this week's show and to listen to the show again you can head to our webpage radionz.co.nz forward slash theahika next week Mariah is back with no doubt some funny stories from adventures up north and I feature highlights of the kaumatua ha kina kina that's sports held in Palmerston North Hemihi tēnā ki ngā kai kōrero i tēnei wiki, Harima Fraser of Te Puni Kōkiri and the whānau that have shared their personal story with us. Kahu Waitua and whānau nā mihi. Hoki mai hei tērā rātapu mai te whānau atiahika. Kia tātou katoa, maori ora.